millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with a brother uh, that we are just going to call Brother Malik. He is uh, another of our one-name guests. If you are a regular listener, you know that uh, often as we speak with persecuted Christians, as we speak with gospel workers in hostile and restricted nations, we don't want to compromise their security. Uh, So this is another of those one-name guests. Brother Malik, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Well, thank you, Brother Todd. We are thrilled that you are here, and uh, some of our listeners, those who read the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, will be very familiar with the Fulani tribe in Africa. We often talk about the Fulani in the context of them persecuting Christians, persecuting people who have come to faith in Christ. That's your tribe. You are a Fulani and a follower of Jesus Christ. How did that happen? How did God get a hold of your heart and draw you into the kingdom? Well, yes, I am a part of that big uh, tribe called Fulani, spread out in 28 countries in Africa. And I'm born and grew up as a Muslim. My father, he's a Quran teacher. He had been teaching Quran his whole life. And my mom, great-grandfather, was a, a king who was doing holy war. So your dad is a Quran scholar, mm-hmm. and your mom's dad is a holy warrior, a jihadist. Yeah. And you, that's the family you grew up in? Yes, correct. So now you're a follower of Christ. Yes. When I grow up, I never met a Christian in my life until I was 17. And to meet a Christian, I have to go to a bigger city because where I grew up, there was no one. And uh, when I finished my elementary school, we didn't have a middle school, so I had to go to uh, like a bigger city to continue my study over there. When I was there... I had to stay in somebody's house, so we did not have any relative over there. So, And I keep moving every year. In the third year, when I was playing soccer, and I become a friend with one guy, and I told him, you know, my friend, I may not see you again because I don't have a place to stay next year. So, And he talked to his dad, and his dad allowed me to come to stay at his house. And his dad was working for, for some missionaries. So, so that was the first Christian that you had ever met. Did you notice anything in that household that was different from the house you grew up in be, because of their faith? Was it? Did you see differences in their family? Well, it was so different because first time that I, I met this, this missionary, and first thing that he told me it is he, to ask me if I want to do Bible study. Well, I said, yeah, okay, I want to do it because I wanted to gain some knowledge because— my dad was teaching me that, you know, the Prophet Islam was saying, go and find knowledge even in China. For me, learning about the Bible was just finding knowledge. And truly, I was finding a lot of knowledge in the Bible <laughs> uh, because that was the first time that when I started reading, you know, from Genesis, you know, I just first time that I know that God created the world in six days. And this is what he did the first day. This is what he did the second day and the third day. Because in what I learned before, 
You, they will tell you that he created the wall, but it was not like lined it up that way. So I was so excited for knowing all the details for the first time and uh, also knowing about the lineage, about, you know, all the big prophets that I already know before, who is the father of who and who and who, and all the details was fascinating me, you know, to read more about the Bible. I was so excited about it. So in your mind, you were still a good Muslim, but you're reading the Bible to kind of expand your knowledge, and, and really, did you see that as, as ultimately that would make you a better Muslim? Well, no, I wasn't trying to be a better Muslim, but because, remember, I was a student, I would get all this biblical knowledge, you know, and when I speak with my friends and things like that, I will use some of this, you know, phrases, and I will say it, you know, and they will say, man, he's so wise, but they didn't know where I'm getting it from, <laughs> because I was getting it from the Bible. <laughs> So that was just to make me look good. So at what point did you just start to feel like, wait a minute, this might be more important than the Quran. This might be true, more true than the Quran. Well, this journey took me five years, honestly. And I was reading the Bible twice a year. I read the Bible 10 times even before I become a Christian. And during this five years journey, I was watching the life of the missionaries. You know, there was loving and caring. And I was saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and try to make them Muslim because when they die, they will go to heaven because they are such nice people. I didn't want, to go, want them to go to hell. And I went over there and I talked to the missionary and he told me, no, I cannot believe on that because this is so mixed up. And I said, oh, wow, okay. You know, and I was so mad that day, you know, and I said, well, I'm going to go back home, you know, and I decided that I will take a like highlighter I will take the Bible and I will underline all the mistakes in the Bible and take it back to the missionary showing that the Bible is wrong. But this time, you know, I have to have something, you know, best knowledge that I will evaluate, you know, the Bible with the Quran that I know in my head. And this is when I discover, you know, there was no mistake in the Bible, but there was mistake in the Quran. That was a bad news for me. <laughs> What, what were some of those mistakes that, that you came across that you're like, wait a minute, the Bible says this, but the Quran says this? Well, if I have to say all the mistakes, we're going to spend the rest of the day here. <laughs> but, you know, I will just uh, pull out one or two. One of them was like they was taking about Lucifer, like Satan. You know, that was a very close angel and doing all the best thing and praying and worshiping, you know, the God everywhere. And now he did one mistake only which is not to be submit to like the creator, which the creation, which is Adam, you know, and he had been kicked out of the garden. So, and that was just one single scene. And uh, Adam and Eve being like in the garden for so many years, <laughs> you know, living fearfully and, you know, great. And now they did one single scene, so God have to kick them out of the garden. So, and I know that I had more than one scene <laughs> personally. So I said, wow, this is, this is a problem here. I have a problem. You have a sin problem. Yeah, a sin problem, yeah. How did you come to understand that, that Christ was the answer to your sin well, problem? Well, after that, when I have a big news about, you know, I will not be able to make it even if I continue to be Muslim, so I start crying out to God, you know, and I told him, God, you know, there are so many ways, you know, and each way he's saying this is the right way going to you. So I want to know the true way going to you. This was happening in, the, in my dad's native village. Because the missionary was in furlough. And I never been in a church. I never been, you know, I never made a pastor in my life. 
So I was there and I was crying out to God. And one night, you know, I see, I see Jesus standing in front of me, you know, and I ask him this question, are you the one that I need to follow or did I need to follow somebody else? He quoted the verses, John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is not going to the Father without passing through. Man, I got up and I freaked out because I was thinking that Satan was just trying to pull up my leg to make me Christian. And I did not want to be a Christian, you know, because I was, that was very scary for me. Right. You know, after that, and I had been really thinking about it, processing it, you know, because having a dream is not something easy to forget like that, you know. And something was whispering in me saying, in case, <laughs> just in case, if this is the truth. I said, wow, okay. And I wanted a confirmation, and I start crying out again to God, you know, for him to help me, if it is a truth, to show me a confirmation. Two weeks later, you know, I get a confirmation from the same dream. And I get up, and I, and I come out of the, of the bed, I kneel down, and I accept Jesus Christ as my personal server. I was sold out to Jesus. Malik, your father is a Quranic instructor, your grandfather on your mother's side is a jihadist. I can't imagine that your family was very excited about your decision to follow Jesus. What happened? <laughs> and my dad's native village is a very interesting village because its its household is a current school. And people will send like uh, the kids from different villages and different parts of the country to come to study over there. And my dad was like uh, traveling in a lot of parts of the country starting new schools. And uh, when, yeah, and it's it's a village where I I give my life to Jesus. Also, that was very interesting because when I give my life to Jesus, I stop praying as a Muslim pray. Believe me, that will not take them long to find out that you are not praying because they pray f- five times a day, and easily they cut that I stop praying and they start persecuting me. And one of them, one of my uh, relative over there, was telling me, you know. Islam allowed us to kill you if you don't pray in three days. How did God help you through that? Because like you said, you'd never been to church. Yeah. You you hadn't been to Bible school. You had yeah. read the Bible yeah. a number of times. Mm-hmm. How did God help you even in, in the the first days of your faith to withstand that pressure? Well, uh, when I was in the village, my older brother, one of my older brother, which is the lineage in my father's older brother, uh, son, we we had to go to help him to harvest millet, and millet is very itchy. It's uh, it's like corn, and we harvest it with our hands. And uh, that previous night, when this guy was saying this, was you know threatening my life. There w- it was a present of many villages who come from different parts who come to help because this guy is a coroner teacher also. And uh, a lot of people come to help him because he's a spiritual leader. Right. You know, and that was the moment that was he was telling me, if you don't pray for three days, Islam allowed us to kill you. And uh, it's, uh, well, I was I was ready to die, you know, and I and I have the conviction, even if they kill me, I will go to heaven. And uh, uh, the next morning, 7 a.m., we, we took off, we went to the field, and we started working. And from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., this guy who was saying this, that they're going to kill me if I don't pray, he was preaching to me in a Muslim way from, uh, from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. But I was listening everything that he was saying. But more I was listening, more I was rooted in the Word of God and knowing what I choose is the right path. 
you know, until like 2 p.m. when it was so itchy and believe me, uh, North Africa is very hot. And it was so hot and uh, uh, this thing will cut you and uh, when you sweat and it's, it's very painful. And everybody was just like down. And I never been in a church and at that very moment, it looked like I haven't run, got renew my strengths. I feel like, you know, I just start working. And I never, I never heard anybody singing. I'm not, still today. I'm not a singer. Those who know me know that I don't sing. You know, I sing from my heart. But I start like putting some words. Since I read the Bible so many times, I would pick up a word here and over there and put it together. And I start singing and working. I worked so hard until like almost like 7 p.m. And this guy had been watching me. You know how lovely and joyful I was in the way that I was helping. You know, he said. Truly, this guy he have a good heart, and since then he never say a word about me. Wow! So yeah. God used that just to give you favor. Yeah. With with the people, did when you went out to the field that day, did you think there was a chance they were going to kill you that day? Well, I was ready. I was ready truly. Wow. Yeah. So I'm curious to know: Did you ever go back to that missionary and say? You were right. I was wrong. Now, now I'm following yes, Jesus too. Yes. Well, uh, one year later, you know, this missionary come back from furlough, and I was be able to go and to talk to them. They were so excited, and uh, they walked me through training me and mm-hmm. teaching discipleship. me discipleship. Yeah. Uh, so I will know better, more, and then I've been uh, baptized. After I get baptized, the man who was hosting me. He's the one who told my younger brother about me giving my life to Jesus, and the word out go to my father and to my parents and all of that. Man, I was not there, but somebody told me when my mom heard that I was a Christian, she fell on the ground and she took her to the hospital. Wow! Because that's the biggest shame that somebody can do in my in my culture. So, and because I'm the first Christian in my community. What is it like now with your family? You're, obviously, your father was not happy at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Are you in good relationship with them now? Yeah. When I when I when I become Christian, you know, all my all my parents and my family rejected me, and they didn't want to talk to me for two years. Nobody even <laughs> didn't want to shake my hand. And uh, I uh, remember one of my younger brothers, who's science teacher today, he told me this. He said to me, Malik. You brought shame to our community. You brought shame to our family. Not only you are a Christian, but you are trying to make others Christian. But today we praise God after watching um, uh, my work with Jesus and all the things that is happening, and the Lord is using us. And uh, today they are very proud of me. Clearly, they have seen that that God has made a difference in your life. Yes, they, they have seen that difference. One of the things that we, and I mentioned this in the open, we often hear about Fulani in the con in the context of Fulani are persecuting Christians. Fulani are attacking Christian villages in northern Nigeria, in other places. What is it like for Christian Fulani like you, in that in that sort of wider context of this is a very strongly Islamic tribe, like they have a very strong Islamic identity. What is it like for Christians in that situation? 
Well, we we say that the Fulani they are the one who brought Islam in uh, in Africa uh, or most of the part of the Africa, and they took ownership of Islam. They do that because uh, they persecuted people because they think what they are doing is right. And we talk about this as brothers and sisters, you know, Fulani, a Christian. We say, okay, our ancestors brought Islam in our countries. We have to take out Islam out of our country. We have to bring Christ to our people. I remember when I was uh, in, uh, after I was trained in a Bible school and I started doing a practical ministry, how to share the gospel, my dad came to visit me one day because he heard that I started a work. And he was so excited because he was thinking that I started a work that I would be able like, to make money and to support the family. And he came visit me. Three days later, he had been watching. He said, Mali, what kind of work are you doing? <laughs> that was a question that I was expecting <laughs> from my father. But he, after, you know, I, I look at him, I look down. I was trying to think what I'm going to say to him. But I didn't want to lie to him. And I look at him and I look down. And the third time I said that I'm doing the same work that you have been doing, except that I'm preaching about Christ. That was wow. That was like putting a knife in his heart. He was, it was very painful. I can feel that even he get up and he left. And so we, as a Fulanic Christian, we want to take the gospel to our people to show them, you know, this is the truth. This is the reality. And I always remind people, even in our own Bible, in John 16, verses 1 to 4, the, Jesus was saying that they will be, you will be kicked out of synagogue. And some of them, they will even kill you thinking that they are saving God that way. I think it's what is happening to the fallen tribe. They are thinking that they are saving God in that way because of ignorance of knowing, you know, the only Savior is Jesus Christ. So how do you help new believers prepare themselves for the prospect that your father could turn against you. Your mother could turn against you. You could get kicked out of the village. They might threaten to kill you. How do you help someone who's come to faith in Christ, maybe even in the first few days, get ready to stand strong in the midst of that? Well, usually I said uh, being persecuted is part of the package for being a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the package. <laughs> yeah, you cannot have the package of Christ without having persecution. That's a no-no thing, you know, because when you become a Christian— they will feel that you betray them, and you become an enemy. Yeah, and like your own family said, yeah. you, you've brought shame on yeah. us. You have yeah. shamed us yeah. by following Christ. Yeah, I remember one time one of uh, the son of the imam in one of the countries that I'm overseeing, he became a Christian, and this is the biggest imam, like spiritual leader in the whole country. And when journalists went over there and asked him, uh, we hear that your son become a Christian. What do you think about it? He said, he's not my son. Because as soon as you become a Christian, you are not part of the yeah, family you're anymore. You're dead to me. Yeah. So how do you get Christians like that imam's son? How do you prepare them for that? Well, uh, most of the time they already know the Quran, and uh, we use in many times. It's, it's, believe me, it's a lot easier to, to share with somebody. If he's willing to listen, and he knows the Quran, it's very easy to share with him with somebody who just believes and don't know the Quran. Why? 
because he will be able like to follow you through, mm-hmm. you know, and to understand what you are talking about. But somebody who just believe, if it's a blind belief, he will not listen to you. He'll so if you start to point out mistakes in the Quran, yes. if they know the Quran, obviously they understand what you're talking about. If they just have heard that they're supposed to know the Quran, but they don't, they'll just get angry. Yes, they get angry. And that's when it can be brutal and violence against Christianity. You are training church planters and young pastors and sending them out. What What is the key thing for them to be successful in their work? Like, like what's the, the one skill or the one thing that you want to make sure they have when you send them out into ministry? Well, it is love. For being Muslim and being a Christian, I know what's truly lack in what I believed before. And uh, one of the things that uh, we always prepare to people when, uh, like, what we call, like, the four double way, which is, like, welcome and uh, worship. Worship the one creator, which is yes. God, you know, and the word of God. You know, share the word of God. And then the fourth one is witness, witness to the people. So we, we want to make sure that every church planter have to know at least how to do this four things. Uh-huh. That's a great, I like that system a lot. That's yeah. great. Brother Malik, we always want to equip listeners to pray. And I think especially as as we think about the Fulani tribe, how do we pray for a move of God among Fulani and for our brothers and sisters who are Fulani who have, have heard Christ's voice? Well, pray, pray for strength. A lot of people want to share, but they are, they are afraid. There's fear. It's what is holding a lot of people back, either in Africa or in a lot of places of the world. It's why I like fear of love because, you know, when you love that much, you know, you will not have fear, you know, to go and penetrate. And because it's people, they, they hate you because they don't know how much you love them. You know, and uh, pray for God to wipe out of fear out of, out of the people who are doing the ministry and willing to die. And usually I make, uh, uh, I put these two things together. I said, a lot of people know John 3.16. But there is few who know First John three sixteen seventeen. The first one it is Jesus give <laughs> give his life to you know to the world. Mm-hmm. But you know the second one it is has brothers and sisters to lay our life down for the others. So and that when we are at that point, you know we will be able to share uh, Christ everywhere. So we need prayer for protection. We need prayer for wisdom. We need prayer for successful ministry. Uh, in our different uh, ministries. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more a tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.